Hello, this is Sarah Proctor and I am delighted to be hosting another episode of the People Plus podcast, More Than Just a Job. And today I'm joined by Shan Saba, who presented recently at a social recruitment advocacy group session on the importance of, um, of really getting to grips with where you stand in your organisation on being aware of race and culture difference and ethnic diversity um, and I'm not going to speak for Shan so would you just like to introduce yourself Shan thanks for doing this. No problem I'm delighted to be here thank you Sarah. Uh, yeah my name's Shan I'm uh, director of Brightwork it's a recruitment business the largest in Scotland um, I'm also uh, a trustee at the Refugee Survival Trust um, in Scotland uh, and uh, I run a movement an organisation called Scotland Against Modern Slavery which I'm sure we'll talk about as well. Yeah, absolutely. So that's it's quite a list. Where where to start? Um, some of the things you explored during the lunch and learn session, Shan, that we maybe didn't get a chance to speak more about in, in that session was around uh, modern slavery. I believe that you kicked off this movement. Is that correct? In, in yeah, Scotland? that's right. I suppose um, to, to really put it into context, I think as a, as a recruitment business a number of years ago, we'd realised that um, we were at risk of, you know, if we were recruiting, do, do we know what a, a victim of modern slavery looks like? We're at the forefront of getting somebody a job. A job is what labour exploitation is all about. So did we know about it? And when I did a course called Stronger Together, a large organisation that runs a number of workshops on this and did a course, uh, I'd realised I had no knowledge at all. This was going back six or seven years. Um, I then got in touch with the Scottish government and asked, you know, how are they, what are they planning to do raise, to raise awareness in the business community? And that was the start of a, a pretty rapid and long journey. So since then, we have, um, and I personally have been involved in the anti-trafficking movement movement in Scotland. Once you realise mm -hmm. how the issues and the problems, you know, we over 600 victims last year res rescued in Scotland. It's at a record six, high. Six, and I think... Six, six, did you say 600? 600, yeah, 600. And that's those who are... To go through what's called the national referral mechanism so that's the the system of reporting and recording it but most of the victims don't know they're victims so they don't know that they're, they're victims of labor exploitation or sexual exploitation or sadly their lives are actually better being exploited here in scotland the uk than it was wherever they came from wherever their home nation is and so so there's an issue and so we a massive issue and we, so we started the movement with some some core aims and the first one was to raise awareness in the business community in Scotland we have over 60 businesses now that are partners of Sam's mm -hmm. ranging from you know um, small manufacturing companies to Scottish Southern Energy Scottish Water and um, so there's you know much larger organizations on there as well and so we run roundtables with really topical discussions so we'll have guest speakers on that'll talk about the issue the concerns policy the legislation, whatever's relevant. And the second thing we do is we support the victims or survivors. Mm -hmm. So to date, we've supported 17 survivors into good work with the members of SAMS, either businesses that are joined over 60 of them. So, um, you know, work is the one thing that caused that was where their exploitation lie and lay and their vulnerabilities, whatever those vulnerabilities are, mental health, depression, uh, alcohol, drug, drug addiction. So, um, 
those employers that have taken these people on have to make support and make care and, and make sure that that's that's followed through. Um, and a really important part about that is if somebody has been exploited and they start work, they're more likely to stay in Scotland. Mm-hmm. And if there's a prosecution against the person who's committed that crime against them, they're more likely to stay and be a witness. So therefore, we're more likely to get successful prosecution. So that's quite long, long-winded way of saying, please, you know, we want to get people put away mm-hmm. for the crime that they've committed. And the final part is we run workshops and support for those that are vulnerable. So those that are in um, the, for example, last year we ran a big project for the Ukrainian community about what work looks like, what a real job is, you know, what mm-hmm. a cash in hand job is, what what is a good job, what's national insurance, what's a pace like, how should you work with a recruitment agency? And uh, we did that for the Ukrainian community. We also did it for those in the asylum community. So those that don't have the right to work are at huge risk because just by nature of their status um, and the lack of money that they have, they'll be working in the mm-hmm. labour black market. If you just may take that as that assumption is true, then if they are lucky enough to get the, the, the right to remain in the UK, will they start what we would call a real job or will they stay in exploitative work? Do they know the difference? And you would be shocked and surprised to see how many people continue to work for 10 pence now in a restaurant or you know just a job and finish in a construction uh, orientated environment doing homers or whatever it might be so mm-hmm. there's a lot of work to be done so we've taken the lead on that and it's fully funded by bright work um all right amazing part, okay. and we run that as part of as part of our dna is what we do and you know it's it's become bigger and bigger and bigger every year and you still manage that alongside everything you have to do in the day job as well how how do you how do you manage that how do you prioritize shan you can't it's very hard i find it really hard i'm never very good at time management but the um <laughs> i think the core of it is doing the right thing so you know it's one of our values here in our business and but actually it feels like we really live it so is it you know is yes we have to run a business yes as this, this profitability and that's really important and we're in recruitment you know, so, you know hard edge of the market mm-hmm. just now with the economy and the labour shortages and all those types of things but doing the right thing will always trump those um, and as long as you have that value and I have to be honest in recruitment it can have a bit of a bad reputation out there and you know many people will talk disparagingly about our industry uh, mm-hmm. by doing the right thing hopefully we're trying to change that reputation and bring some of those uh, less than savoury I suppose recruiters that are out there I'm not saying they're all, we're all like that but actually make them think about what they're doing and how it works so yeah uh, it's just part of the DNA, Sarah, if that yeah. makes sense. Yeah, no, that, that totally makes sense. And and certainly would chime, I'm sure, for a lot of people who work at People Plus and other employers that, that People Plus work with is the sense that if you know what the right thing to do is, it can be a bit of a compass when things are really quite difficult to, to place people in work just now. Um, you've alluded to that just quickly there, Shan, but is it still harder, do you think, coming from an ethnic minority background, to get work now than it is if you are from a white so-called mainstream culture what do you think <laughs> i think that's a really deep question a really good question i think i can only talk from personal experience uh and then what i see in the job that i do so there's two sides of this right and i took this isn't the first context of my personal experience being somebody born in glasgow mm-hmm. brought up in glasgow and you know and and start my journey out in the world of work and all those years ago when going to university and coming out of uni and and trying to find a job and I had I got a degree in human resources and and I um I thought great that's me I'm you know I'm going to settle down and be become a, a somebody 
obviously I'd never a part-time job, so I actually get get my that's first it, real yeah, that's job. That's me. I'm on, I'm on my I'm on my path. Yeah. Yep, absolutely. I'm on my path, and I so my real name isn't Shan Saba. That's a short. That's a hugely short name. My real name is Mahindan Nadana Saba Pathy. My parents originally came from Sri Lanka, um, and my dad, who which was would you believe educated in Moscow? So was my mum. Actually, both educated in Moscow, um, through they got scholarships, but they, um. My dad arrived and and when he ended up first arriving in Scotland and working, he felt he had to shorten his name to Saba. Mm-hmm. And that name was shortened never officially, but it was shortened to Saba just for ease of him and his life and how he, he just adapted it. He just wanted to get on and, and raise a family and, and, and give him the best life possible. So I was using my full name, really, really struggling. I applied for over 250 jobs and I never got one interview. And now it's really competitive for graduates. Back then it was really competitive, it still is now. And I couldn't work out why. I shortened my, CV, shortened my name, sorry, to Shan Saba. Shan was like a family nickname as well. And uh, I started to get interviews. Now, that's not really a white-sounding name, let's be honest, right? But it's much easier to say um, and much easier to read. And it's that bias that I see on the other side of the fence as a recruiter. When you mm-hmm. read a name like Mahind and Dana Saba Pathy, does he speak English? Was he born in the UK? Will he have the right to work? So I'm not going to say sit here and say, oh, well, it was dead easy, it was dead easy. It was a nightmare, really, really hard to get work. Couldn't get a job in HR, ended up working in retail and in a graduate role in retail because, and that's nothing disparaging about working in retail, but it was the only job I could get. And mm-hmm. um, once I got that job... And what was, was that role? Was so, that in your, was that in, so that wasn't in HR, that was... No, not sales. at all, it was a retail manager, it was a retail manager, and it was with Toys R Us, I can talk about it now, because it's Toys R Us, yeah, and they yeah, don't exist yeah. anymore, so I was, a, <laughs> I was a graduate manager, graduate store manager at Toys R Us, and I went for an interview, blah, 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 anyway, I got the job, and I remember the, one of the managers seeing my name, and he went, and he heard me speak, and it was in Edinburgh, and he said, oh, I'm glad... I'm glad you can speak because I thought actually you can speak English when I saw your name. That was his first reaction, right? And um, and you know you know just you shrug it off and all this to get on with it. And it was it was it was hard hard mm. work, but mm. it was great fun and all the rest of it. And after about a year, I thought right, I was in Edinburgh, I was looking to move, uh, and I spoke to a few recruitment agencies. And would you believe I couldn't get any joy from the recruitment agencies that I was speaking to. And I got really, really frustrated and I started sending my CV off. And then I started finding out the manager was at the agency and sending my CV and et cetera, et cetera. And I was getting nowhere. And some of them would say, oh, just, we will phone you when something comes in or, you know, we'll ignore you and all the rest of it. And I thought, I could do a better job than that, than those mm-hmm. people and those agencies in Glasgow and Edinburgh. And I um, got in touch with all the managers then, one by one, and I actually said, wait a minute, I want to be a recruitment consultant. So I got in touch and said, can I be a recruitment consultant? What do I need to do? Tell me how you can help. Very little of them came back to me. One did. Uh, one, that agency came back to me, and the manager, who was an, it was an Asian chap, actually got in touch with me and brought me in, and he ripped me apart in his interview, and then he um, told me what I needed to do get on and all the rest of it, what the job was really about, because I didn't know. I thought it was just about getting so was people he right? jobs. He was, was he right to rip you apart? 100%. He totally ripped me <laughs> apart. And then I actually referred me to one of his colleagues and I got a job and I got my first start in recruitment. And um, and I suppose... How much do you back, think that was to do with him being Asian, though? Did he give you a chance? 100%. It was because, you know, I suppose, I, I don't know how you describe that. Was that refers to discrimination? I don't know if you want to call it that. Positive discrimination, but he 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 gave me a chance when nobody else would, and yeah. um, and I never forgot that. And then 
you know, I started off in the, and it's the type of job, if I'm being honest in recruitment, where the barriers start to fall away because you're a recruiter and you're billing and you're growing with the business and you're growing your business and growing your customers, you know, your clients and your candidates and relationships are getting built. So that doesn't become important in the recruitment industry, if that makes sense, mm -hmm. when you're working there, because you're just measured on your figures and your work ethic and all those types of things. So I just felt like it was free. So if I'm going back to your initial question, I found those found it so difficult and there was barriers put up against me, not through any of my own doing, right? Yeah. Um, and then I think about, and that's when Glasgow, um, Glasgow's BAME population was really, 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 and I'm just going on my knowledge. In primary school, I was one of maybe two people out of two classes that came from an Asian background or a black Asian background. Um, but now you look at Glasgow's being population dependent. Now you're looking at it sitting about 14% of the, the population of the greater Glasgow area. So we're much more diverse now. Now there's two things from that that I would say is that in a city like Glasgow, is that once we've become more diverse quite rapidly in Glasgow, right? And this has happened over the last 15, 20 years. Um, do those barriers exist? Are they still there uh, that I would have faced back then? And I question myself on this all the time. And I question myself about the UK and Scotland, and some of the targets and 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 and, and why, Sarah, as well. That's really important. Yeah. Why, are we, why are we talking about it? Why are we still talking about it? And that's very much one of the subjects of the Social Recruitment Advocacy Group. Um, Social Recruitment Advocacy Group, as it says on the tin, is all about helping people who faced um, any kind of disadvantage in the labour market to try and overcome those barriers and get into work. Um, so obviously the group are keen to hear from you, Shan, because you're literally at the coalface of this every single day. And one of the interesting things that came up was how do you even recognise whether you have a problem in your organisation with racial discrimination or making sure that people from ethnic minorities are getting absolutely the same level of support and, and mm -hmm. potential to, to be everything they could be in the organisation. Um, do you do you have any advice for for employers from your own experience on, on like simple things that can be done when it feels like quite a big thing to tackle absolutely it's huge and it is and it depends on how what what the belief is it's got to be in i talked about the dna of a business it's got to be in the business well, many organizations talk about the esg strategy it's so important now it's governance it's it's board level it's you know it's shareholder driven as well um but also consumer driven so these, these are questions that are and and diversity and and all areas it has to be addressed but if it's just a tick box exercise, it will be seen through, you know, people will see through it, wherever they may be. And what I might mean by that is just having a, um, a bit of a, well, we, you know, we'll, we'll make some positive decisions in recruitment to make our make our numbers look better. It's not going to work. It's mm. not going to work in the face of it. And you have to look at all the grading. So if you're a large organisation and you have grading structures, look at where your representation is. Look at the community around you that you're in and look at the grading structure. So you'll see there'll be a waiting, and, I, and I'm and i sorry it's so Glasgow centric, Sarah, that's probably because I'm, we're both sitting here, aren't we? Yeah, we're both so, sitting in Glasgow. I mean, People Plus is a UK company, but you know we, we operate all over the place. So this is all, it, it's it's pertinent to, to everyone, I think. So I'm, I'm what I mean by that is that if you look at the 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 
BAME population, for example, at lower graded roles in certain organisations, you might say, well, we're, dead, we're really representative. But then you look up through the ranks and we talk about the board level and how far does it go and, and how do you recruit, or as a recruiter, how many times am I asking, can, can you look at making the shortlist as diverse as possible for some of the more senior roles? Well, no, I can't because there isn't anybody capable of doing the job that we're mm -hmm. going to be able to find. So, uh, so why is that disconnect? there so from the lowest yeah. grade all the way up and that's the question i would say to organizations and if you if you acknowledge that there's an issue and a problem and you have the data it's not just the percentage of people from diverse backgrounds that you have in the employment it's at all levels have a look mm -hmm. around and and, mm -hmm. and and encourage people to complete their um diversity information you can't force them but encourage them then you can have the data and if it's data led it's a business case and there's, mm -hmm. when i go into the business case being representative and being representative of the communities around you, be that with regards to sexual orientation uh, or race or whatever, disability, whatever it is, can make decision making much more inclusive and much more effective, therefore more profitable. But it's hard to see in the business community why it will make money, uh, why a, a process like this will make money, but it's long term. Mm -hmm. And it's how that's going. And the final point I'll make about about what I realise is, and I'm just going to tell a little anecdotal story, is that going back to recruitment, is that we've seen historically um, through some of the business the business areas that we recruit into through Brightwork that we've taken people from the, the New Scots, you know, those from the asylum community, got the remain uh, right to remain, and they can work. And they've struggled to find the job. They've struggled to get work. Now, now if they're struggling to get work because the barriers are up against them, English isn't a first language. They've, they're maybe sitting at an older age demographic, having never worked in Scotland or UK before. Also bearing in mind that if they've been in the asylum system, they haven't worked for, for a, up to two years. Sometimes it can be. I couldn't imagine how that would be. So they start mm -hmm. at the bottom rung. But we found that we were given access to work. Some of those people through the asylum system coming out, sorry, that had the right to work. And there were stories coming out that we changed their lives. We didn't even know it. We were just getting somebody a job and not discriminating, right? Simple. Yep. And yep. they were starting their life. They were settled. And we found this going back a few years that many people from the asylum community here that were then um, starting work were able to settle in Scotland and settle and raise their families. And then that next generation of families were going through the education system, you know, and they, they were the new, new generation of Scots, but they were given that chance and Bright Work gave them that chance. So, you know, it's like, um, if they're not going to get that chance because there's so many barriers up, up against them, I'm just talking about different areas of communities as well, then your confidence is knocked. And if your confidence is knocked, you don't believe that you can actually get up if you if your career minded got through the ranks, mm -hmm. if that makes sense, or these different levels that I've spoken about. So you may have a representative workforce at the lowest level, but if nobody's putting them forward for the next promotion or a sideways step, whatever it might be, why is that? Yeah. What's what's holding them back? It's themselves. And how do you un unlock that? Yes, and that is absolutely, well, it's a, it's a very deep cultural question, isn't it? And, and it must be frustrating that there's only so much you can do, but you are taking actions that, that are positively impacting people. So that must be a comfort to you when um, when you see things that still need to be changed. At least you know you're doing something and that's what it's all about, isn't it? Finding actions that, that you can take. I think there is. There's, there's small things that you can do. And, and I suppose if I think back to myself, being younger and not wanting to rock the boat, not wanting to change, you know, what 
I'm, you know, I've got a mortgage to pay or whatever it is, and I'm just yeah. not going to. Um, I don't feel like that. Maybe I've just got older, Sarah. I just think I don't feel like that anymore. But when you see inequality and, you know, you look at society and this isn't just about, you know, um, people of diverse backgrounds. There's a huge amount of inequality in society in, in the UK. And and it's, I suppose, it depends on you measure it. But, you know, it's, it's looked at being the most unequal, unequal time since the 70s that we're mm -hmm. living in just now. So I think about the next generation of young people that are growing up and how can we change that now um, and make changes for, for the next generation that's going to be coming up through through society to try and change that and so that they can see that it's not helpless it's that there's some there is something happening out there there's many people doing many good things but yeah it's i think it's just important to stand up for those if that makes sense absolutely it really does thank you very much and um i can't really believe it but that's kind of already 20 minutes we've been chatting um and I have heard loads of things that I want to know more about, but I would I think we should leave it there and let people have questions hanging about what they could be doing in this space um, and potentially look you up at um, Scotland Against Modern Slavery or or look you up in your role at, at Brightworks. Um, Brightworks obviously a massive recruiter um, and I think many recruitment companies could take a lot of inspiration from, from what you've spoken about, Shan. Um, so much as it seems awful quick, Thank you ever so much. Um, I don't know if there's anything else you wanted to, to share in particular or anything you'd like to call out, but. No, I think I've, I've enjoyed talking to you, Sarah, so thank you very much for your time. <laughs> thank you very much indeed. I'm just going to say thank you and that. <laughs>